0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could. But how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made. And by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi.
2: Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by collaborative communication expert, Elaine Rosenblum. Elaine will share why she thinks words matter now more than ever when it comes to achieving your educational and career goals. She's the founder of Perform You, which provides mediation services and collaborative communication training to both individuals and groups. Elaine suggests that heavy use of digital devices has affected our interpersonal communication skills skills that are necessary to influence the outcomes of college and job interviews, improve team collaboration, and build lasting relationships. She'll discuss the three most important skills in today's global job search and workplace and illustrate through case studies how changing your conversation can change your life. Elaine, I'm so thrilled (coughs) to have you on the show again. Thank you for making a return visit.
3: Oh, Hemda, thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here and share uh, more about the three most important skills that everyone needs in the knowledge economy.
2: So now we've hopefully piqued some curiosity, So maybe you can reveal the secret of what the three C's are.
3: Okay, well first I'm going to tell you a little background on the three C's and how I came across them and then came to teach them. Um, about five years ago I read an article uh, in the New York Times Magazine, about the skills that were going to be required in the knowledge economy. It was written from the point of view of what colleges needed to be thinking about in terms of preparing students for their careers. And it was revealed that the three C's were communication, collaboration and creativity. Uh and that really piqued my curiosity and I'll tell you why in one minute. And then I went to an edge I went to a conference on the future of careers and technology, and then once again, all the technology companies were saying the exact same things. These are our value systems. This is what we want, the people that we're hiring for the future of technology, the skills they're going to need to be successful. So the three C's are communication, collaboration, and creativity. And when I read that, it became very clear to me as somebody who teaches collaborative negotiation and somebody who grew up, my first career was in the advertising and marketing world, that... I was an expert in all three of these and that they were all very teachable skills. So today I want to share with your audience how those manifest in a global knowledge economy and why they're so important.
2: It'd be wonderful to get into the why since you work with so many people, students, recent graduates, seasoned professionals, just to share a little bit about what you're seeing has happened through the impact of technology and what are the real-life scenarios that you're looking to address in the training that you provide?
3: Okay, well, one of the issues is that the young budding career Careerist, as I call them, people you know applying to college and getting ready to graduate from either college or maybe a master's program or even you know medical school uh, or applying to medical school. These young folks have grown up for the most part with technology and with smart technology specifically that means they've grown up texting primarily and On using social media to get and give their information. And what has happened with those two variables is that they're in texting as their primary communication format, their language, they use abbreviated language, they use acronyms, and their vocabularies and their speaking muscles have been blunted or, as I say, the the speaking muscle has been atrophied a little bit and the vocabularies have been blunted or, or are eroding in the case of a more seasoned professional. And then getting information from social media and also giving it on social media requires abbreviated words and language and thoughts as well. Think about Twitter. And so... Our whole ability to communicate has been just degraded or downgraded. I don't want to... Degraded was probably a very judgmental word, which I'm against, but downgraded. And we need to intentionally work on upgrading it a little bit. Um, So that is my concern, and that is the effect that I'm seeing uh, across the board in budding professionals and seasoned professionals.
2: We can get so accustomed to communicating through technology that it's just like any other muscle we have. It tends to relax a little bit too much when we don't use it enough. Exactly. So what are the layers that you work with people on? Because these interpersonal Communication skills have a variety of dimensions, like someone might have social anxiety, then there's the issue of how people articulate the words that they use, the tone they use, what are the different areas that you focus on in your work?
3: Well, let me break this down for you. So you have communication, and communication is your voice. It could be your writing voice. It could be your speaking voice. It could be your physical voice. It could be your behavioral voice. So there's a whole element to general communication that really comes down to self-respect and giving respect. And then secondly, you have this whole concept of collaboration. And collaboration is a mindset and a language. It is the core of the collaborative negotiation that I teach people. And the mindset is basically how can we both get more of what we want more of the time. And the language is shifting from the judgmental to the neutral or using uh, primarily non-judgmental language. And when you do use judgmental language, self-correcting, which is what I did a few minutes ago when I used the word, um, I think it was downgrading. Um, and then creativity is such an interesting proposition and how you, um, it is, its primary, fundamental um, application is um, in creating ideas, you have to follow a ground rule, which is you can't judge any ideas. No idea is a bad idea, and it's, it's non-judgment of ideas is where great innovation comes from. So using those definitions, what I will do is work with people on Sometimes it's their writing of their resume or how they are going to present or self-present in an interview setting. Um, It might be the cadence of their voice or the tone of their voice, or it might be their behavioral language in an interview setting or in a presentation setting or in a managerial setting when they're giving feedback. And then the collaboration piece is more of, wrapping your mind around um, and executing on uh, a mindset and a language. And then the creativity piece, um, I'm going to go deeper into that, but the general proposition is non-judgment of ideas.
2: It sounds like you're engendering receptivity by practicing certain values, right? And the values that you talked about are self-respect and non-judgment, and really taking a look at also how everyone's needs can be met.
3: Yes, yes, Um, and, and doing that intentionally. And the first thing you have to do is be aware that you're not you're not passively in a room or having a conversation or interacting with your teammates, that you have to take an active role in it and pay attention to analyzing what's being given and taken within the room or the conversation.
2: I'd love to talk more about the creative process, Elaine,
3: since Mm -hmm. this
2: is something that sometimes people can feel insecure about just like anything else. That creativity, we know, is something that can be learned. Would you share more about that, and maybe offer an example around how you work with people to cultivate creativity?
3: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I just want to sort of share with your audience where how I learned how to be more creative and really honed my creativity skills. I spent the first 10 years of my career working in advertising agencies and then for a small while at the very end, I jumped over to the corporate side and worked in corporate marketing. And advertising is creatively solving business problems for your clients and one of the Basic concepts that you learn when you work in an advertising agency is how to brainstorm. It's so funny to me because now brainstorming is this hot, um, you know action that people perform in the workplace, and I was brainstorming 30 years ago in mm-hmm. advertising agencies. And so the first rule of brainstorming is that no idea is a bad idea. And the reason that is, is because you want to generate, if, if, if somebody throws out an idea and somebody else says, well, that's a bad idea, or that's a judgment, or they say, that'll never work which is a less judgmental um, way of saying it, then the idea kind of has a curse on it. And what I try to teach people is you can have a zillion ideas up on the whiteboard, and there may be a nugget of gold in idea number one and a nugget of gold in idea number six, but neither by themselves are viable ideas. So it's this idea of crossbreeding parts of concepts to come up with a creative idea and a more innovative idea um, End end idea. Or the reverse of that could be in mistakes. Um, So that might not be in brainstorming per se, but let's take, for example, um, uh, a mistake or um, an accident. So this is always my favorite story about medical innovation, whereby um, there was an accident and a young man in Russia um, had glass Sort of uh, some glass broke and scratched his eye, and he had terrible vision prior to the accident and What they found out was that his um, vision became corrected by um, the glass scratching his eye and so the innovation of laser laser eye correction surgery came from that accident. So that's sort of the reverse idea of brainstorming, but it's still creativity. It's how can we use this information to create innovation.
2: Does that make sense? I love that example, absolutely. That when it comes to inventions, so many of them can happen, so to speak, by accident. And Exactly,
3: exactly. There's great ideas and mistakes and accidents. <laughs>
2: And it seems also that you're talking about creativity in a very practical and grounded way, meaning that it's really an avenue, a skill set that's used to solve problems, and exactly. therein is its value in the business arena. Let's say where we want exactly. to look at it in concrete terms. And yes. I love, I love what you say. Also, it's taking that value again of non judgment that. Everyone has some, such a wealth of resources within them, and I guess part of the challenge can be the issue of expressing it. If we had a chance to actually express what was inside us, then we would all discover our brilliance even more. And so having more of a mindfulness, not just as an individual, also in a group context, to really allow for the expression of a variety of ideas with withholding judgment so that you can see, as you mentioned, if maybe there are bits and pieces of each one that could be combined to really come up with the best solution
3: you are exactly right and that is exactly how great ideas and great create creative as we say in the advertising world is, is generated. That's where great commercials come from and great print ads um, from a group of people all putting their minds and their innovative ideas or creativity onto a problem and trying to solve it in a group function. And just to take it a step further, how it applies in um, our professional world today, we live in a global knowledge economy, which means if you, I always pointed out if I were doing this in person, I would point to a laptop, but it could be a desktop, a laptop, or even an iPad. Everything we need to know can be found on a computer and so that's the definition of a knowledge economy so now, the value system of the professional world, and it, it, it really is the value system of the educational world, um, it's true in medical school interviews, college interviews, and job interviews, that they are not necessarily, they are looking for knowledge, and they are looking for some expertise. But if you think about everything you need to know can be found on a computer, then what they also the underlying skills that they want you to be able to do, have are can you get into a group environment and and communicate and collaborate to create innovation and and so there's a business problem and they want people in the business world to come at that problem and be able to collaborate in a team environment and they're actually looking for very diverse um, abilities to solve problems meaning using different disciplines so highly valued people in the For instance, technical or technology world are people, they might want to hire an opera singer or somebody who's an engineer who has a background in opera singing and, um, by the way, decided to go to medical school and didn't graduate. Those are three different kinds of disciplines to use to solve business problems. And they are looking for a cross-section of lots of different disciplinary thinking in order to solve problems.
2: It makes sense that we need to hone the skills that we cannot replicate through technology and which we really own inherently as human beings. So we're going to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, Elaine will share examples of organizations she's helped to solve important problems by implementing the three C's. Some of these problems might exist in your business, so stay with us to hear more.
0: Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan
4: enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi speaking with collaborative communication expert Elaine Rosenblum, who joins us virtually from Atlanta, Georgia. Elaine discussed the three C's, communication, collaboration, and creativity, skills that are essential for success in today's global job search and workplace. While technology can facilitate innovation and problem solving, it can't replace the human qualities that are required for an effective self-presentation, negotiation, influence, and relationship building. Elaine will elaborate on this by describing some of the problems she's helped organizations to solve through training in the three C's. Elaine, tell us more about this.
3: Okay, so... One of the case studies that I think is is um, really insightful is I was working with a large packaged goods company, and they had some sponsorships. A lot of times they'll sponsor you know big sporting events like the Olympics, and um, there were four people that were located in the headquarters. In the United States, in one city, and there were four people um, on the other side of this contract, um, sponsorship contract, that were located outside of the United States in another city at their global headquarters. And none of the eight people spoke English as their first language. And they were really having trouble um, executing on this particular sponsorship contract, primarily because their communication skills were um, less than ideal. And so I came in and interviewed the group and... um, interviewed them all individually and really figured out that if they could could improve their communication skills and primarily in terms of specificity and being very clear about what they're trying to say, that the conflict that was resulting would probably go away. So I think in a global economy, which is what we're now, we have a global knowledge-based economy and, you know, uh, so many different cultures working together, so many different value systems, the incidence of conflict is certainly rising and is, you know, happens because we have so many people different people with so many different reference points. So the idea of being specific and communicating with absolute clarity and being cognizant and aware that different people might have different value systems can be incredibly helpful in solving business or professional problems.
2: It brings to mind the Center for Creative Leadership which is a nonprofit that is research-based that focuses on leadership development. And they have a 360 feedback assessment that is for global leaders. And it's very interesting because that's exactly what they take a look at. They evaluate a leader's strengths and their performance based on how the feedback is from different countries. And so they generate this assessment by looking at the value system of, of those different geographic areas. So someone might receive wonderful feedback let's say from people in the United States and not as much so from people in Australia.
3: You are so correct. I mean the simple example that Um, a lot of people may or may not be aware of is, for instance, in Japan, it is considered a lack of respect to look somebody in the eye, or if you are a younger or a junior professional, to look a senior professional in the eye. Um, In the United States, looking people in the eye is a sign of respect, and not making eye contact is considered disrespectful. So they are polar opposite value systems in, from the United States to Japan. And if you're not aware of that, it can truly get in your way if you are functioning in a global workplace.
2: And you emphasize the lean specificity as a way also to avoid some of the conflicts that seems to be propping up when you're working with people, maybe even on virtual teams who are from different cultures. And in this example that you gave where you had four members of the team who were in the United States, four who were outside the U.S., all of them for whom English wasn't a first language. Do you recall some of the specific issues that occurred that, you help them to resolve through specificity and communication?
3: Um, I think some of the specific problems were ground in the fact that they didn't even take into consideration that somebody may or may not be understanding what their point, their point. So they... They got very caught up in making assumptions without um, gaining clarification and co- what I call confirmation, saying, "I just did it to you a few minutes ago in this interview. I said, "Hemda, does that make sense?" I made a point and then asked for you know confirmation from you That's a very simple um, tool that we use in collaborative negotiations that I taught this group of people to use as an interaction tool to always get confirmation that the point that they were trying to make was understood as they were trying to make it.
2: That makes sense that you're talking about many of us may have assumptions and even if we might be repeating the same thing multiple times and getting really frustrated and saying, I explained this so many times. So I'm not sure how come the situation still exists. How come there's still a problem here?
3: Right. And and another tool that I use to teach groups in conflict or even individuals in conflict is to ask questions, to say simply... Um, I'm not sure if you're understanding my point. You tell me in your own words how you're hearing what I'm saying and repeat it back to me and let's make sure we're on the same page. You, What I try to teach people is how to take that initiative and how to make it their own responsibility in any conversation. Uh, that They're confirming that the, they and their listener are on the same page
2: so the underlying strategy just has to do with inviting or offering clarification just confirming that the message is clear and making it specific maybe by by offering facts and examples data that might help the person to really get the point that you want to convey
3: Exactly. Exactly, and and many times, um, people think they're being clear, but in fact, they're using very general language, and this is very, very true, especially with people who grew up with smart technology. They are so used to communicating and these general sound bites that there isn't a lot of clarity or specificity in their language choice. And that is a recipe for miscommunication. Uh, When I'm working with young people, I so frequently say, well, what do you mean by, uh, you know, it wasn't a a fun time? Um, Can you tell me more about what that means, just asking a general open-ended question for clarification um, can make all the difference in the world.
2: And what about taking ownership and saying, I just want to make sure that I'm communicating this in a way that's really clear? Yes, Let me know just, if you have questions.
3: Yes, um, just asking for that. Um, does this make sense? Is it clear? Um, Asking the question and making it safe for someone not to understand what you have said. Um, A lot of people, in terms of conversations, are afraid or concerned to speak up uh, about their own knowledge or understanding. I can't tell you how many times I will be in a group setting where Someone will be giving information, and I am the first to raise my hand and say, I don't understand what you mean by X, Y, and Z. And 13 people come up to me afterwards. It could be in a classroom setting. Uh, Last week I was at my son's school, and it happened where a teacher was telling us about how to – pack a gym bag for my son's gym class and it was so unclear what the teacher was saying and I just shot up my hand immediately and said, I don't understand what you mean by X, Y, and Z. And 13 people came up to me after we were dismissed and said, I didn't understand what he was talking about either. So take the responsibility of asking for confirmation is what I'm suggesting here.
2: Right. It sounds like also... That if you speak up, more than likely, you're speaking up for many other people. If you have a question in your mind, then it may be reflective of what other people are wondering as well.
3: I would, I'm willing to bet nine times out of ten that is true, that if you don't understand, many other people in the room don't understand either. And taking the risk of asking for clarification uh, without putting the other person on the defensive is a leadership tool.
2: That's what I was wondering, actually, in terms of putting the person on the defensive. If you say to someone, I'm not sure that you're understanding what I'm saying, or if you ask them, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you think that that's something that sometimes people can get offended by as if you're questioning their you know, cognitive abilities?
3: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up, Hemda, because how you frame a question or a comment is critical, and the way you just put those two statements or questions um, were framed in in a more judgmental way, Um, so it's a great example, and... The way you want to ask questions like that is, uh, does that make sense in a very open-ended way? And you want to make sure your tone isn't condescending. Uh, And also, you might want to say, are you understanding? If you say something like, are you understanding what I'm saying? You're kind of making a judgment that they may be less than. So... You need to put the onus on yourself and say, am I making sense or does that make sense, what I'm saying makes sense, and, and take responsibility for your own ability to communicate. And if, I'm, if you're not making sense, then perhaps I could put it in a different way. Um, let me ask you a few questions about what parts don't make sense. Um, and you have to say it with empathy. You can't say it, it's, it's, it. That really goes to a collaborative mindset, and the mindset is how can we both get more of what we want more of the time. So if you have a mindset of openness and the goal of being collaborative, in theory your voice and your tone should follow suit. So when I'm teaching people to be you know, better communicators. I have to lay down this idea of collaboration as a foundation.
2: You want to make it easy for someone to come to you and say they're not quite clear on what you're saying. You want to give them an invitation. It's just like giving and receiving feedback. Exactly. right, If you communicate that you're open to receiving their questions and that it matters to you, That you're communicating clearly to them and if you're not then you'd want to know about it yeah I mean
3: if you are leading um, a conversation or even a group uh, one of the foundations that I always lay down especially in a group is no no question is a stupid question no question is a bad question the goal here is for you to learn as much as you know, you can. So, I invite all of your questions. So, that's me taking responsibility for my own ability to communicate clearly and uh, specifically.
2: We literally have just a minute before we need to go to commercial. Is there anything else that you'd want to emphasize by way of wrapping up this point around clarity and specificity?
3: Uh I mean, I just want to reemphasize that you have to take it on as your own responsibility. And, you know, as you rise up in your abilities or increase your abilities, that you can learn not only how to take responsibility for yourself, but to nonjudgmentally ask the other person to... Um, to enhance their clarity and specification. Um, and there are ways to ask questions to encourage that from other people without putting them on the defensive.
2: Right. So you want to approach both ends. You want to invite someone to seek further clarity and check in and make sure that you're communicating in a way that's clear to them and then also ask for clarity in a way that's respectful. Exactly. We're gonna go to a brief commercial. When we return, Elaine will share examples of the interview prep she does with college students and recent grads, and her work with seasoned professionals. Stay with us for tips that will benefit your job search. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a
0: lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, Now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy.
4: Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com.
1: You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page.
2: We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined virtually by collaborative communication expert, Elaine Rosenblum. Elaine shared the results she's helped some of her organizational clients to achieve by training them in the three C's, communication, collaboration, and creativity. This last segment will focus on the work she's done to prepare students, college grads, and seasoned professionals for interviews and career success. Elaine, if we can start with the work that you've done around interview preparation.
3: Well, it's it's as important, I'm going to start with this because it's an important point, it's as important uh, what the interviewer is saying as it is for the interviewee. So I want to just Quickly with an example of interviewers. Um, I worked with a large educational organization that hired a lot of PhDs in science. And many, many of these people were seasoned professionals. And they were in the role of interviewing, hiring younger PhDs into their departments, but they were also in, in, as part of their job, uh, they had to sometimes job eliminate, or what you know, the not so nice word is fire some people from their department or downsize. And so, in doing so, many of some of these people were, you know, have been in this role for 30 or 40 years, and they would, you know, say, you know, to the person they were job eliminating, you know you're getting too old, and we have to let you go and that was many many years ago um, it that would pass muster in terms of telling somebody that they were being job eliminated and in a global knowledge economy now, that ability to communicate is so important because it has become a legal liability to say to comment on someone's age when you're firing and what was happening in this large educational institution is they kept getting sued and so it just it's a it's a very important message in terms of how important communication skills are in the global economy and then to answer the second part of your question, let's talk about interviewees and how I'm working with interviewees in the global economy. So, interviewing is about talking about your achievements and what, one of the underlying skills that I'm teaching people in, you know, whether they're interviewing for college, medical school, or a professional job, is that you have to be able to demonstrate Communication, collaboration, and creativity, the three C's, um, when you're talking about the achievements on your resume.
2: I want to just touch on one, one point, actually, that came to mind when you were talking about the folks who are doing the interviewing. How do you work with them on that issue of sensitivity and empathy?
3: Uh, well, for interviewers, I think that creating, again, a safe Space to ask questions and making um, people feel incredibly comfortable, or making the interviewee feel incredibly comfortable, is actually a really, really important um, skill of an interviewer. Because I believe that. You get more out of the interviewee and you see how they will act in a professional setting or inside your organization um, if you make them feel really comfortable. And the strengths will come out um, in the interviewee if they feel comfortable. And also, if they feel comfortable, some of the weaknesses will come forward. And that is Huge insight in in a hiring proposition um, for the um, interviewees that I'm mentoring and coaching. Uh, what I try to give them insight into is how an interviewer is seeing the um, interview, and 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 giving them real insight as to. Uh, Seeing the interview through the interviewer's eyes. Um, typically, especially younger people, are, they're so worried about their own presentation that they're not thinking about their presentation in terms of how the interviewer is receiving the, uh, the information they're giving out. Does that make sense?
2: Right, yes. Yeah. So putting yourself in the place of that interviewer, try to see things from their perspective so that you can really more be in tune with them.
3: Right, and give them the information that they want or, or highlight the parts of your experience that are going to be most meaningful to them. So I spend a tremendous amount of time teaching interviewees um, how, how, what the value system of the interviewer is and how they're going to use their skills, the interviewee's skills, um, in their specific work space. And, I mean, uh, in, in a real simple example of that might be I'll have an interview, a young interviewee say, well, you know, I worked at the burger joint, and that wasn't really an important job. We won't put that on my resume. And I'll say, well, wait, tell me more about this burger joint job, and I'll say something like, well, what was the, you know, cash receipts of the day? And they might say $4,000. And I would say, well, were you responsible for taking the $4,000 to the bank? And they might, maybe it's an all-cash business, let's make that assumption. And they might say, yes. Well, there's all kinds of implicit Ideas and that small concept, meaning they've been trusted with $4,000, they have the responsibility of taking it to the bank, and those are very valuable uh, strengths in, I would say... Ninety-five percent of organizational environments. So they, something that they would underestimate, a skill set they would underestimate, the interviewee, um, might be incredibly important to an interviewer.
2: You're encouraging, then, the interviewee to break down their experiences and ask themselves, what does this say about me, that I had this responsibility,
3: Those are called transferable skills, and I think most people underestimate their transferable skills.
2: I'd like to reinforce the points that you're making is that it's very important to actually demonstrate in the interview how you have collaborated effectively, how you're you're able to communicate effectively, how you're able to demonstrate creativity
3: exactly um, I always use the analogy for um, for interviewees or when I'm prepping interviewees um, to uh, you know they tell you in math when you're in elementary school show your work show how you got from A to B and how you got your answer the same is true in an interview they want mm, interviewers are most interested in how you think think, how you got from A to B, what was your creative process to get from A to B, and that comes down to storytelling and the way you frame a story, and that is probably what I spend most of my time uh, teaching interviewees, is how to tell a story and frame a story that is going to... Highlight your skills, your communication, your collaboration, and your creativity skills um, within that story and telling the interviewer how you got from A to B. A lot of times somebody might say, Well, this is my strength. Um, My strength is uh, communication. Well, that is meaningless to an interviewer just to say a flat, make a flat claim like that. You have to say, You know, my strength is communication. For example, uh, I was at a leadership conference and uh, I knew that, People were confused by what the speaker was saying, so I stood up and asked a question that I knew would clarify uh, what the speaker was trying to convey to the audience. That is somebody who is an insightful communicator because they could analyze what was going on in a situation, in a communication situation, and then help the group and get a better understanding.
2: I want to reinforce a couple of the points that you made, and then I'd love to talk about seasoned or returning professionals, since we only have about a few minutes left before we need to wrap up. So for interview preparation, we want to create three buckets, and and more buckets depending on what kind of opportunity you're applying for. You want to cover, though, the basis of collaboration, communication, creativity, and look at it from the from the angle of specificity, tell stories that illustrate how you implement these skill sets. And then how, how does this carry over to a seasoned professional or someone maybe who's been out of the workforce and is looking to come back in and is a little bit concerned about what they've missed in being out that might pose a bit of a challenge?
3: Um, well, I think people underestimate Their skills in general. And I think people who are returning, maybe they've stepped out, let's say, a mother who had a professional career and decided to stay at home and is now, her children have grown up and she wants to jump back into the professional world, many um, of those types of interviewees come to me very concerned that they are out of step, that technology is moving so fast. And what I say to many of them is that you don't underestimate your skill sets. There are many skill sets that are very applicable in In today's professional space. And a great example that I like to use um, of an underestimated skill set that could be brought out in an interview is let's say I have a standardized test tutoring company. I need to hire somebody who um, can be the uh, liaison between the parents and the organization and talk to parents who are calling in to obtain SAT or ACT tutoring for their child. And have, hiring somebody who has never had children is is not as good as hiring somebody who has been through the SAT, ACT college um, application process. So that parent who has been through that particular experience is going to be a lot more empathic to parents calling in to my standardized test tutoring company. So that is an underestimated skill that I would encourage a, um, a mother going back into the professional space to highlight in an interview, that they have that empathic capacity to talk to a parent, parent to parent. Is that, is that clear?
2: Absolutely. I'm going to summarize quickly because we just have a minute left before we need to wrap up. So you really want to take a look at the totality of your life experiences and see value in these different experiences, understand what the value is and make sure that you're articulating in a way that shows that it's something that you feel good about and that you know that it's a strength that you can bring to the workplace.
3: Yes, yes, and it's identifying those transferable skills that sometimes can be hard for people. They tend to underestimate them, and it's really important to um, get to engage a friend or a mentor or me to help you uh, pull these out and extract those transferable skills and then how to present them.
2: Thank you so much, Elaine. This has given us a lot to work with. It's it's a pleasure. (laughs) And there's more, if you want to delve into this deeper. One is that I'd like you to look out, actually, for Elaine's upcoming book, which is expected to be published in 2017. If you or your kids will be applying to college and grad programs, or if you're applying for scholarships or jobs, stay tuned for a communications interview and job search primer that Elaine is in the process of writing. The book is designed to help you ace interviews, develop job search strategies, negotiate salaries, and importantly, as Elaine has expressed, to articulate a point of view that distinguishes you from other applicants. You can stay tuned for this and other guidance on collaborative communication through the social media links that are on Elaine's website, which is proformu.com, that's P-R-O, F-O-R-M, and the letter U.com. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I'd love for you to email me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Turn the Page Radio. Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page.
1: Thank you for tuning into our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then.